This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Investec Asset Management. Value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. In South Africa, Investec Asset Management is an authorised financial services provider. With me today is Philip Saunders, who's the co-head of multi-asset growth at Investec Asset Management in London, becoming 91. Philip, the reason I want to speak to you today is because China is sharply in focus for very obvious reasons that need not detain us for the moment anyway. But I want to talk about Japan because something suddenly sort of slipped under my radar yesterday. And I looked at it today and I thought someone's put the decimal point in the wrong place because it was the contraction in Japanese gross domestic product. Quite an astonishing number. Well, I think that um, obviously GDP growth in Japan is not particularly high simply because of the demographics of the place. Uh, So, you know, a natural rate of growth of somewhere of the order of 0.6% per annum uh, is to be expected. So if you have a short-term disruption, you know, it can quite easily look fairly negative. I mean, it would sort of dip into uh, what might be considered to be recession. Uh, But the underlying picture of the Japanese economy really belies that. It's in a reasonably healthy state at the moment, despite this sort of shortfall in Chinese tourists. The Economist reports upon that event yesterday as follows. It says here, Abe Shinzo has repeated his worst economic blunder by increasing the consumption tax for a second time. Economists still puzzle over Arbenomics, the experimental mix of policies introduced by Japan's Prime Minister seven years ago in an effort to ward off the country's deflation and stagnation. But two lessons are clear. Japan's bond market is remarkably docile and its households are painfully sensitive to increases in the consumption tax. Now that suggests that Japanese consumers react differently to, for example, South African consumers or British consumers? Because I think the consumption tax went up by, which is essentially VAT, went up from 8% to 10%. And Japanese said, no, thank you very much. We'll just rein in our spending, which wouldn't happen elsewhere. Well, I think that Japanese consumers basically are relatively careful. I think you saw quite a lot of consumer expenditure front-loaded. It happened before the tax increase. It's pretty obvious. It's been telegraphed for ages. Uh, and if you look at previous uh, increases in effectively consumption taxes, uh, you saw quite sharp downfalls in terms of demand immediately afterwards, uh, and, and, and then basically a process of normalization. So I don't see that this is any different. So we have a shortfall, uh, a sort of bit of an air pocket, um, because a lot of expenditure was front-loaded. Um, and you know we will basically see a rebound um, at some point later in the year. So I think, I think the FT is being sort of typically hysterical about this, uh, and it doesn't really understand Japan at any rate. So it's, it's to, those kind of comments to be expected. You know, Japan's consumption taxes have been historically incredibly low compared to other countries. So the IMF basically believes that they should push them up to 20%, uh, which would bring them in line with, say, Europe, for example. But uh, this is the thing. You know, so in order to basically address the, you know, the sort of level of the uh, public debt, you know, which is where Japan took the strain during the period of deleveraging that happened post the sort of peak in the 1980, late 1980s. Um, it's having to, you know, adjust taxation rates and go from basically a very low level of taxation to a sort of moderate level of taxation. Uh, and that's a slightly painful process. Um, but at least they've got scope to do that, um, and which will help them address the sort of government budget deficit problem in a way that really 
you know, Europe has run out of roads. You know, you, Colbert said, Louis XIV's finance minister, that taxation is about uh, um, plucking the greatest amount of feathers with the least amount of hissing. You know, Japan's <laughs> got a way to go on that front. Yes. Okay. Let's have a look at the numbers that we've been talking about, because that was uh, remiss of me not to have put them up front. It says, after the government raised the tax from 8% to 10% in October the 1st, the economy shrank at an annual pace of 6.3% in the fourth quarter of 2019, according to figures released yesterday. You seem quite sanguine about this, Philip. Is this because you're a Japanese fan and you have Japanese investments at Investec Asset Management becoming 91? Or is this just something you've seen before? So, you know, we have a material position in the yen as a defensive uh, exposure, uh, sort of crash protection, if you like, uh, because it's a reliable defensive asset. It's a very, very cheap currency at the moment. We have a moderate allocation to Japanese equities, uh, which we will probably increase. It's one of the you know, highest equity risk premium in the world. Um, that's what it offers. And international investors really don't bother with Japanese equities at the moment. And I think that that is, that is wrong because there are a lot of excellent companies in very strong positions, particularly in the area of automation, which is an area we like a lot. And, and also, there's a lot of corporate change going on. You know, the level of buybacks has increased dramatically. You're seeing shareholder activism. So this kind of change takes a long time in Japan, um, but, but, but it does happen. And so I think Arbonomics basically, you know, will, we will look back on it as basically um, a, a successful attempt to address sort of Japan's challenges. Um, because you have to remember that Japan is sort of 20 years ahead of all of us. Uh, so it's a laboratory, if you like. And they tend to be, we tend to dismiss it as Japanification, you know, the inexorable decline. Uh, and I think it's more complex than that. I think that they basically understand the challenges that they face very well. Um, and I think that they are gradually, in a very Japanese way, uh, addressing those challenges in a, in a sort of proactive way. Uh, now, it's not going to be a straight line. And clearly, you know, the reporting of the shortfall in GDP during, you know, annualizing one quarter. I mean, mm. how insane is that? Um, if you want to play that game, you can look at previous quarters where the you know, if you annualize them, you know, just as people front loaded their spending, you know, it tended to be exaggerated in the other direction. So let's have a bit of perspective, please, because I mean, this, you know, short termism, messing about with statistical information in a, in a sort of superficial way, you know, really doesn't get us anywhere near reality. Well, first of all, it's the Japanese that produce the numbers that the, the Financial Times and The Economist and other financial publications are brought out. That's the first point. The second point is uh, what you're saying is that economists are doing us a disservice. Well, I think that sort of focusing on short-term numbers, particularly after you've seen a material change, which has resulted in the front-loading expenditure in previous quarters, and then a shortfall in you know, the, the subsequent quarter, you know, you have to put it in some kind of perspective, just looking mm. at a quarter's numbers and then going, ooh, ah, the economy is plunging into recession, you know, is just inane. And, uh, you know, whether it's produced by, you know, these are official statistics, you can look at the historical official statistics, uh, but just looking one at one quarter in isolation and then sort of going into this sort of hand-wringing is, is just absurd. I'm a simple person. I went to Japan last year and I've been invited to go to the Olympics this year. I'm not going to go, but I saw the way that they handled the World Cup. And from a simplistic point of view, from a hands-on, kicking the tyres point of view, this is the one country I would invest in in the world if I were an investor, which I'm not. So you say that you still think that Japanese equities present good value. You like the Japanese yen because of its safe haven status. What about bonds? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think that sort of bonds, actually the Japanese bond market is sort of graveyard for Western investment managers who've basically been trying to short it and short the yen for years um, pretty unsuccessfully. Um, But Japanese bond yields have sort of hit rock bottom. So it's not a particularly attractive investment. of Japanese JGBs for international investors is not particularly attractive, but the currency is very cheap. So there will be times when the yen appreciates significantly, um, and and the returns on Japanese bonds, you know, even though they're pretty miserable <laughs> on a on a currency adjusted basis, will look pretty attractive. So I, I don't think we can ignore it, uh, but 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 it has to be. I think you have to look at the bond market and the currency separately, uh, and I think it's more of a tactical trade from a global perspective. I think Japanese the Japanese equity market is very different because you are seeing basically restructuring. Uh, There's a lot of scope to sort of improve balance sheets because you remember that over many years, you know, the Japanese corporate sector was one of the most leveraged in the world uh, in the late 80s during that sort of bubble period. And so since then, it's been sort of very you know, relentless deleveraging uh, to the extent that basically a lot of Japanese companies have a lot of cash on their balance sheets. Um, they're under pressure to. Um, so, so the, the strange thing about Japan is that basically the corporate sector is very cash rich, and the government sector has lots of debt. Yes. Yes. But the debt is not owed to foreigners, so it's a sort of domestic affair, if you like. So they need to rebalance. You know, so that's why Abe has been encouraging shareholder activism and buybacks and higher dividend distributions, which which you've seen, uh, and uh, and and that's you know that's moving things in the right direction. Um, it's not. You know, currently reflected in valuations because valuations are cheap relative to other markets. Uh, but I think that any investor portfolio should have some exposure to Japanese equities. You know, on risk premium grounds. You know, clearly they've deleveraged now. They're in a sort of re-leveraging phase, uh, and I think the demographic challenges are not entirely unsurmountable in the way that um, people refer to Japan as an old people's home. And I think that's a gross exaggeration. Okay, so to summarise, you think that this is an aberration. And also, we, although we spoke about the 8 to 10% increase in consumption tax, there was also a typhoon thrown in for good measure during that reporting period, which also disrupted manufacturing and therefore disrupted the GDP numbers. Just the final point, and this is something that is also probably short-termism from my point of view, the proximity to China in many people's eyes implicates Japan in the coronavirus mini-crisis which is going on at the moment. That'll just blow over though, do you think? Yes, absolutely. And I think in a way, if you want to sort of... um take advantage of, you know, a rational market sort of price action on the back of exaggerated fears about the coronavirus, then Japan is a pretty good candidate. So I mentioned that we basically particularly like Japanese automation stocks, uh, because basically there's going to be a wave of 5G related capex, um, not just in Japan, but internationally. Uh, and Japan will rebound pretty strongly after this. Uh, so the extent to which basically a cheap market has become even cheaper is you know, a good opportunity. And clearly, um, Japan benefits enormously from Chinese tourism, which basically has sort of, you know, juddered to a halt. And that might take a bit longer. But I think the real story is basically underestimation of the level of capex that uh, Japanese companies are going to benefit from both in Japan and elsewhere. Uh, And I think it's right to have some exposure to that. And clearly, in market dips... You know, we're in a world where most investors just simply chase momentum, um, and that's not remotely our game. So, you know, we like 
volatility that provides sort of attractive entry points uh, into assets that we intend to hold for quite a long time. Philip, thank you very much for your insight and putting the case for Japan forward so eloquently. That's Philip Saunders, the co-head of multi-asset growth at Investec Asset Management in London, becoming 91.